0: people have come in partway through the service. Maybe just turn around, say hello to the people around you. Just spend a minute welcoming everyone while I gather myself. Thanks, Kat. Do you want to put it? Great. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> um, I just want to warn you that uh, there used to be a nice little clock here that sort of showed you how long you were preaching for, so it'd stop you in time. And my eyesight is so bad, I can't see that clock up there. So I just want to warn you, you know, I, I do allow heckling if you want to shout and say, right, enough is enough um, after 30 minutes. But my, wife, <laughs> but my wife, who's heard me preach before, has given me a watch to make sure, uh, make sure I keep to time. So, welcome everyone. My name's Phil. Uh, I've been coming to the church for, what, about four years now? Um, and before that, quite a while back, I, I became a Christian in this church, so I've got a wonderful heritage here. Um, and we're going to speak about Abraham, and you'll be aware if you were here last week that we've started a new study on Abraham. We've entitled it The Relationship God Wants. I mean, why are we studying Abraham? Paul gave us a great introduction yesterday. Uh, let's just go back to the to the main uh, thing. You no, know, this man lived two thousand BC. He lived in the Bronze Age. Um, four thousand you know, four thousand, three and a half thousand years ago, something like that. You know, what, what can we learn from this man who lived four thousand years ago in the Middle East? Well, of course, the Bible tells us that he is the father of faith. The Bible tells us it tells us that he is the father of all who believe. And many of us learn good things and bad things, maybe, from our fathers. But we can learn a lot from Abraham. He is the father of Israel. You know, we'll, we'll find out that Abraham had a son, Isaac. Really important part of the story. Isaac had a son, Jacob. But Jacob had 12 sons who formed the 12 tribes of Israel. So he is the father of Israel, the father of the Jewish nation. He's the father of those who believe, which is us, the fulfillment of the promise. So there's a lot we can learn from him. So we're going to spend a little bit of time, half an hour or so, just looking at Genesis 13. So if you recall from last week, Abraham had this amazing call from God. The call from God came to him, and God basically said, Look, go from your country, leave your family, leave your people, leave your security. Leave your people and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, if somebody came up to you and said, you know, God has spoken to me and said, all the nations of the earth and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through me, you would probably say they're a madman. You know, he's either a madman or it's the truth actually. He left his family. To go into the desert, thinking that all people were going to be blessed through this man, Abraham. Now, of course, we have the benefit of hindsight, because it was 4,000 years ago. And we know, actually, he's not a madman, because we know from the genealogy, from the family tree at the beginning of the Gospels, that he is the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. And all peoples on earth are blessed through Jesus. And that is the fulfillment of the promise. All people are blessed through him. So he has this incredible call from God. And he starts very, very well. So we're going to read this passage. We're going to start at the end of uh, Genesis 12. Let's bring the passage up, Pete. And you'll hear what happens. He starts really well. He fulfills the word of God. He goes into this land, this desert, and he starts building altars for God. And he establishes himself in this land. But what happens? Now, there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, now, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife, and they're going to kill me, but they'll let you live. Say that you're my sister, so that I'll be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. And when Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. Let's go to the next page. So Abraham went up from Egypt, this is once he's left Egypt, to the Negev with his wife and everything he had. And from the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abraham called on the name of the Lord. And God said to him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look to the north and south, to the east and west, all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever." I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the land, walk the length and the breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. Right, let's unpack this a bit. If we can go back to the previous page, Pete. See, it's all going so well for Abraham. He fulfills God's promises. He fulfills God's word to him. Um, Can we go to this slide? I just want to show you something. Because a few years ago, I was asked at work to be part of um, a charity parachute jump. (laughs) A charity tandem parachute jump. Not only that, a charity tandem skydive and then parachute jump. And uh, I was really up for it, and several of us were really up for it. And uh, we, got, uh, we got sponsorship in place, and we did uh, some of the training. And then they made the mistake of sending me this promotional video. It looks something like this. Let's have a quick look at it. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> this is meant to excite you for skydiving. I think that's probably enough. So I saw that and I said, no way. (laughs) No way am I getting on that little plane with those few people and jumping out of that plane going through the clouds. And uh, I'm afraid to say, uh, I know you'd be surprised at this, but I bottled it. I I, I, I knew even if I was in the plane, I just would not jump out of that plane. OK, so the reason I'm saying that is uh, because, you know, I want to be humble before you. But also, has anyone actually done it, skydiving? In? Better, better people than me. Look at this. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Uh, so the reason I'm saying this is because, you know, basically what happened was Abraham bottled it. You know, I bottled that. It's only a small thing. But Abraham bottled it. He was, he'd gone into Egypt Sorry, he'd gone into the promised land. He'd established the altars. He'd done what God had talked to him about. And he was doing well. And then famine hit the land. And instead of staying there, instead of continuing to believe God and trust God, he bottled it. Within half a chapter, he bottled it. And it says... (laughs) He went back to Egypt as soon as there's pressure. Now, we will know, of course, from our geography that Egypt has the Nile Delta. The Nile Delta is beautiful and fertile. And whenever there's famine in the rest of uh, the Middle East in that area, Egypt always does well because they have the Nile Delta um, and it's very fertile. So as soon as famine came, he went to Egypt where there's food. Now, you can understand that, but it wasn't what God had promised him. It wasn't walking in the promise that God had given him. Not only that, Not only did he bottle it, well, he also lied. So he walked in there and said to Sarah, just pretend you're my sister, okay? Because you're very pretty and when they see you, they're going to kill me. So to save his own skin, potentially, he said, let's lie. Not not only that, I'm afraid, but he also gives her to Pharaoh. He gives his wife to Pharaoh to enter his household. Now, we all know what that means, don't we? She became part of Pharaoh's harem. This man Abraham, the father of faith, the one to whom we are all to look, allowed his wife to go into pharaoh 's harem to save his own skin. Not only that, he also accepted money from Pharaoh for his wife, so he, made, he was rich he was made rich from Pharaoh because he took who he thought was abraham 's sister, so within half a chapter Abraham has completely messed it up and yet he's called the father of faith now I want to say this the bible is nothing if it is not honest about the state of people you and me and it's so good that when we read scripture and we read about the fathers the patriarchs the heroes of the bible they are real people with real problems and real flaws and yet God redeems them And God uses them. And I want to say that, that this is the reason the Bible speaks to us today. This is the reason we can listen and hear and be taught by people 4,000 years ago. Because they are absolutely real and absolutely true to the sorts of people we are. And I'm sorry if that's not you, but, you know, I've got to confess that is me sometimes. Now, I haven't sold Amory yet into... uh... (laughs) But if the price is right... So how many of us identify with Abraham? Abraham, yeah. How do you feel your journey has gone so far in your Christian life? You know, you may have had a big calling, but does this story ring any bells? You may have, you know, had amazing visions and Holy Spirit encounters and wonderful times on the floor with God. Whatever it is, you may have had scriptures and prophecy read over you. Maybe I able those things, but maybe you're in the same boat as Abraham, it hasn't quite worked out the way you expected. <laughs> Certainly, maybe we haven't seen the fulfillment of everything we've, we were expecting. Maybe God needs to restore our hope again. There is unfinished business with God. And what we want to make sure is we don't bottle it, just like Abraham did, and we make sure we move on. Maybe it's worse for you today maybe you're in a situation where you don't even know God maybe you've come here today you think you're beyond the pale you've gone too far you've completely screwed up you know I don't believe anybody here has gone as far as selling their wife to to Pharaoh but you know you never know things happen to people we are all flawed and we come here today into the community of grace and whoever you are you are welcome because you've come to grace so we end chapter 12 with, with Pharaoh actually finding out that this is the truth. I think Abraham gets away with it really well here because Pharaoh finds the truth and actually expels Abraham from his country rather than killing him and keeping Sarah, which is probably what I would have done. Um, so Abraham has to leave Egypt with his family and his calling, his family, it's all in tatters. What started so well is in tatters. And so we come on to Genesis 13, which is what I want to really talk about is what does Abraham do? What does he do when the journey is not quite the way he had expected it? What does he do when he has failed himself? He's failed God. He's failed his family. He's failed his friends. What does he do? And I think we can learn three simple, powerful lessons. And there's no, you know, this is not highly complex here. Let's just look at the simple things, because in the end, it's simple. Christianity is simple. Yeah. Let's look at these things. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had. And from the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and I, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. altar. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Let's go to the next page. So what does he do? It's really simple. He returns to God he calls on the name of the Lord. See, Abraham could have just gone back to his family. He could have gone back to his mother and father. He could have gone back to where he knew there was food and fertile land. He could have gone back when he was expelled from Egypt. But he didn't. He pressed in with God. So when the chips are down, press in and believe the promise. Yes? Our first response when things go awry is that we should return to him. Now, it sounds simple, but actually it's really hard, isn't it? Returning when you've done something wrong, returning to your partner, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your, your husband, your wife, your family, it's actually really hard. I mean, I know from a small microcosm, I'm part of the cycling team here, the elite cycling team. And, uh, you know, I, you can probably tell I haven't cycled for about a year or so. Um, but they keep calling me to return, you know, come back to the team and we can go out and we go out every Saturday morning and it's fantastic. But, you know, if you look at Simon Harding, you can see how easy he gets up the hills <laughs> and how difficult it is for me sometimes. But I tell you what, going down the hills, it's better for me. I, 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 don't, I don't know why that is. But now, you know, I've, I've resisted, as Simon knows, returning to the team because, you know, oh, it's difficult. Going back is difficult. Yes? So God calls us to return to him. He called Abraham to return to him. And you know what? It's God's heart. It's God's heart through the ages. It's God's heart through scripture. Everywhere through scripture, God's call is, return to me, declares the Lord. Return to me, declares the Lord, says Zechariah. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me, says Joel. Return to me and I will return to you, says Malachi. They will be my people and I will be their God and they will return to me, says Jeremiah. It's God's call, it's God's heart, it's the purpose of scripture, it's the purpose of the gospel that we would return to him. And it's so simple, but it's so difficult to do. I could go on and on. It's the heartfelt call of God to a flawed people return to me, return to me. And it's fulfilled in Jesus, isn't it? When Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. So I'm speaking to those who feel distant from God today. And you know, we need this every day, every week, every month. We need to know that God's call through the ages is that we would return to him because he is a loving, gracious God. And you know, the one thing that often stops us is guilt. You know, the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. I'm not worthy to be called your your son. I'm not worthy to be called your son. The thing that stops us is guilt. And I want to say this to each one of us who's a Christian, there is no place for guilt in the Christian life. Because the Bible tells us that godly sorrow leads us somewhere. It leads us to repentance. It leads us to him. It leads us to return. And we have no right to hold on to guilt. If you're holding on to guilt this morning, it's not yours to hold on to. He took our guilt. Jesus took our guilt. You know, there's a wonderful way the message puts it like this. But now, in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, death, are gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ, thanks be to God. That's how the message puts it. There is no place to hold on to guilt, and sometimes it stops us, and it's a barrier from coming back to God. But God's call is, return to me. Godly sorrow leads to returning to him, to repentance, and we give it to him. Now, if you're sensing that that's you, Let's just, let's just take a moment. Let's just take a moment. If you're sensing God is just saying, return to me, come back to me. Let's just take that moment and just respond to him. Lord, we thank you that your heart is a heart of grace. And your call through the ages and to us now is just to return. And Lord, from where I am now, I take that first step. And return to you. Now, if you if you find it difficult, you know what one two things Abraham does actually. He goes to the place that he's met God before. So he goes to Bethel, yeah, and he's met God. He's, he's established the altar there. And uh, sometimes, if you're struggling to get back to God, go back to the place where God has met you. You know, it might be a scripture or a word or a song or a person or a film. Whatever it is, if God has met you somewhere and you're struggling, go back to that place. This is what what Abraham did. He went back to the altar that he built at Bethel. And if you find that difficult, the second thing he does is he goes to Bethel. You know, Bethel means, in Hebrew, house of God. And if you're struggling and you can't do anything, come to the house of God. Come to the people of God. Come to church, come to the community of grace and just receive, just receive, okay? And I, you know, we're flawed, so let's, let's admit it. We don't always, we're not always as welcoming as we could be and that sort of thing, but we are a, over, over everything, a community of grace, bought by God's grace and expressing God's grace. And we pray that whoever comes in will demonstrate God's grace and God's love to you. So wherever you are, just come to the people of God and return to him. The second thing Abraham does, I call him Abraham because he he gets turned into Abraham. You know, God gives him a new name of Abraham. We talked about this last week, and I can't get away from it. In this scripture, it's actually Abraham until he gets renamed Abraham, but forgive me. Um, So the second thing he does is he calls on the name of the Lord. He brings God into the situation. He calls on the name of the Lord. And so there's two steps here: come back to God and call on Him. We we um, this is a confession. I read the Daily Mail. Uh, I actually I used to. <laughs> I've I've repented. Um, no, but uh, one stage, Amory and I uh, got free flights with the Daily Mail. They gave tickets out and things like that, and we got free flights. And we chose. I, I was working with somebody who lived in Zimbabwe. And uh, she said, why don't you go and meet and stay with my family in Zimbabwe? And so we flew to Zimbabwe with these daily mail flights. And we had a lovely time, didn't we? And we did a sort of shoestring, you know, hire a car and drive around the country and stay with the, the family. And it was really, really lovely. But I want to tell you about a, a story here of when we called on the Lord. So um, we, we decided to do a little safari. And we drove through this huge safari park called Wangi, Wangi National Park. You know, lions and elephants and hippos and snakes and all those other things you don't really want to be near but you want to see and uh and um, we were driving on this road that they'd said don't drive on but you know we're rebels and um And I was quite enjoying the fact that the car I was driving was sort of slipping around a little bit, because it was quite good fun, you know, uh, and we were chatting away. And we got to this uh, sharp bend, and um, the sharp bend had a sign that warned you it was a sharp bend, but it had been knocked over by a car previously, because it was a sharp bend. And uh, so I didn't see the sign, and we just got to the bend, and I turned the car, and the whole car span. And we'd been driving for about an hour, and we hadn't seen anybody. And the sun was setting in Africa. And if you know what the sun's like in Africa, when the sun sets, it's black, isn't it? It goes. It, it just goes immediately. The sun was setting. We were in the middle of nowhere in a spinning car. And, uh, and fortunately, it seemed, we sort of slid to the side of the road, to this ditch, and, uh, and we stopped by the road. And we both looked at one another and sort of breathed a sigh of relief. And then the car went, <clears throat> and it rolled slowly into this ditch. Now, as it rolled down, I didn't call on the Lord. <laughs> this is me being honest. It was Anne-Marie called on the Lord. And she prayed. As soon as that car started going, Anne-Marie called on the Lord. And do you know what? We managed to get out of the car without being eaten by a lion. So praise God. <laughs> but uh, we went back onto the road, and it was completely silent. And Anne-Marie prayed that somebody would come. And as she prayed... No, no word of a lie, we heard a car in the distance. And this car, we saw it in the distance, and it gradually came and came and came. We were on the road sort of waving it down. And these guys, not only was there a car, she was the daughter, there's a couple, and she was the daughter of the game warden <laughs> of Wangi National Park, the person who looked after the whole park. <laughs> So they said, oh, no problem, no problem. We'll take you and we'll get some of the people that work here and they'll come and they'll roll your car out. Praise God, praise God. Not only that, they were Christians. <laughs> Not only that, they said, oh, uh, oh, so pleased we've met you. This is an appointment. And I was thinking, well, God could have done it in a slightly different way. <laughs> so they said, this is, this is an appointment because um, we're just about to start Alpha. Have you led Alpha before? <laughs> And we said, yes, we have. So they said, we want to talk to you about Alpha and how you do it. Because, and, uh, and then so we talked to them about Alpha. They took us to the game, the game park. We got about 20 of the men. They drove out. They overturned the car. They got their caps off. They polished the car up for us. And we got in the car and drove off. Praise God. <laughs> now, as we drove off, the car was going... It wasn't quite the car that I'd started with But that's another story But really what I want to say is We called on the name of the Lord And sometimes we're in a situation Where we have to call on the name of the Lord We have to call on God And this phrase is used a lot in scripture Call on Yahweh, call on Him Call on the name of the Lord And this is the relationship God wants People that come to Him And people that call on Him And as we were praying for the service this morning, we called on the name of the Lord, a people who bring him into the situation, a people who call on him, who are desperate for him, who need him, who want him, who love him, and they call on him. And that's the relationship God wants. Make it habit. Call on him for your work, for your family, for your friends, for the situations you're in. And as I've been mulling over this over the last few weeks, I've been doing it. You know, I've been getting into a, Lord, I call on you. Be part of this situation. Come, Lord, transform the situation that I'm in. Be part of this. Be part of the equation. And sometimes it's heartfelt and sometimes it's desperate. But we call on the Lord. You know, sometimes you can't call quietly all right, has to be a bit reckless. The psalmist says, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. I call out for God. And sometimes it has to be that visceral that we call out on him, we're desperate for him. I love the scripture. I think I've used it before, but it's one of my favorites of blind Bartimaeus. And it says, as Jesus is approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he said, what's happening, what's happening? And the people said, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He's passing by. So blind Bartimaeus called out, the scripture says. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's a loud man. He has to be. And the people rebuked him and told him to be quiet. With a great oh, This is scripture I love the most. And he shouted all the more. And he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus turned and said, what can I do for you? What do you want? And he said, Lord, I want to see. And the scripture says, Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And I'm sure he praised God loudly as well. But sometimes we need to be desperate like Bartimaeus and we need to call on the Lord and we need to say this situation goes thus far and no further, Lord. We call on you, Lord, to be part of this situation, to bring an answer And I'm sure that's what Abraham was calling out when he says he called on the name of the Lord. I'm sure he was saying, I need you, I've nowhere else to go. Fulfill your promise, Lord. Before any of the great revivals, if you read about them, they're pockmarked with people desperate for God to move and be real and be relevant and intervene and break through and rend the heavens and come down, Lord. And sometimes we just need to be more desperate like Bartimaeus, and call on the Lord. Spurgeon said, before any great achievement, some measure of depression is very usual. Sometimes you have to go through that, of calling, 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 and getting on your knees. And that's because that's the relationship God wants. It's a relationship. And you know, sometimes we shout at one another. Sometimes we're desperate for something to change, and we shout, we call. And that's what God wants. So, two things then. Abraham returns to God and he calls on the Lord. And I would encourage you, whatever situation you are facing, and I know, you know, none of our lives are, are, are always perfect, but don't forget to call on God, to be part of that situation. I'll tell you a testimony in a minute, which is lovely, but the final bit is Abraham returns to God. He calls on him in desperation. And at that point, something amazing happens. And it says, God draws near. God draws near. The psalmist says, the Lord is near to all who call on him. You call on the Lord, he will draw near. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. So Abraham hears God speak, and God says to him, lift up your eyes from where you are, And look to the north and south. So God lifts Abraham's eyes. He lifts his head. Lift up your eyes from where you are. If you're in a situation this morning, return to God, call on him, and I promise you, he will lift your eyes. He will lift your eyes. You, O Lord, are a shield around me, says the psalmist. My glory and the lifter of my head. I don't have to sit ashamed. You lift my head you know when footballers miss a goal they sort of oh, put their heads in their hands you know there's desperate you put, you sort of your head goes down when you're defeated lift your head have hope says god change your perspective renew your vision you're ready to face the world you're not defeated you're in authority lift your head lift your eyes come stand tall when you lift your head you breathe in your your chest goes out my head is lifted I'm in a different situation because God is with me and he is lifting my eyes and lifting my head. Don't hang your head in shame, says God. Lift your head. You're a son or a daughter of the living God. And I think this is a really tender moment. It's almost like God puts his hand under Abraham's chin and he lifts up his head and says, look, I love you. You're a child of mine. Go go into the land. Do what I've asked you to do. You're not defeated. And maybe some of us need that... uh, Gentle touch from God. Lift your head. Lift your eyes, said God. You're my child. Stand tall. You're ready with me to face what is coming. You have a bright future. You have a bright hope. You have a future and a hope with me, says God. So allow him to lift our heads and give us that hope of his promise in our lives. And the second thing is, he sets Abraham's vision and sends him into the land. You can see here, all the land that you see I will give you. So he lifts his eyes and shows him the land. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. Go walk the length and the breadth of the land. So when we come to God, we call on him. We allow him to lift our heads. He shows us the vision and he shows us the land. And I always think there's a a parallel here with with Acts chapter 2. You know, where Jesus says, you know, wait in Jerusalem when he leaves them. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And the Holy Spirit will come and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. You know, and it's, the same, it's the same promise that he's giving to Abraham. Lift your eyes and go out into the land, north, south, east, and west. Go and walk the length and breadth of the land. And there's something about the Holy Spirit that's explosive. There's something about the Holy Spirit that's expansive. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we expand and we explode. And these guys in that little room in Acts chapter 2 were sitting there in in a tiny little room waiting for something to happen. And the Holy Spirit falls and they explode on Jerusalem. They explode on Judea, Samaria, and the very ends of the earth. And the fulfillment of that one event is still happening. The Holy Spirit expands our vision when he comes. And I think that's what's happening here with Abraham. There's an expansiveness about it. And I've felt it at times You know, sometimes it's difficult, you know, reaching out and talking to people and stuff like that. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you find it really easy. You know, and I think sometimes we need more of God's Holy Spirit to expand our horizons, expand our visions. And Paul tells us we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, from our innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Corinthians, Paul tells us, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. We can hold our heads high. We can allow God to lift our eyes because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Wherever you go, God goes with you. If you're a Christian today, wherever you go, God spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him through you. Whether you like it or not, that's what he does. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Let God lift your head and walk tall because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are filled with God. And I'm not making it up. It's just truth of scripture. This is who we are. We're filled with God. And we bring him into the situation. God becomes part of the equation when we become part of the situation. We take him. We carry him with us. And that's what was happening with Abraham. You know, the guys at work, and I'm coming to a close here, but the guys at work once said to me, um, somebody just pulled me over and said, do you know that when you join the conversation it changes did you know that and I said it's nothing to do with me I'm not sure they even knew I was a Christian but he just said when you come the conversation becomes cleaner you know and that's because the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ comes through the fact that we are temples of the Holy Spirit and we carry him with us so as Christians let's own the space that God is giving us what is the land that God is giving you Let's own it. Let's, 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 let our, let's be filled with the Holy Spirit and allow him to lift our eyes. It might be Amersham and the surroundings. It might be your family, your friends, your workplace. Wherever it is, that's the land that God is giving you. And you carry him with you into the land as you walk the length and breadth of the land. We should be lifting our eyes, holding our heads high, and seeing the situations change for good and change for God. Now I want to end with this story. Um, A friend of mine works for Youth for Christ and this is just an example of what happens when we carry God into the situation. He works for Youth for Christ. We saw him a few weeks ago and he told me a story that they had of something that happened with them and they were working in a deprived estate in the southwest. It's known as a policing black spot. Uh, Apparently the the gangs from the north come down and use it as a hub for dealing drugs. And um, children as young as 12 in this place where they're working uh, are involved in drink, drugs and violence. But they bring God into the equation. They carry him with them as they go into these situations. And um, one of the guys befriended a lad called Jack on the estate. And Jack's dad had left when he was 12 his mum couldn't cope, and Jack very quickly got into drugs and alcohol to sort of numb the pain of what was going on. And his health deteriorated. He got into petty theft to feed his addictions. He became aggressive at school, and he stopped going to school. And this was the downward spiral of you know, many many kids uh, in this land today. And uh, this guy from Youth for Christ called Sam, he befriended Jack, and the way he showed God's love to Jack was that he went every morning to his house with the permission of his mum. You know, he went every morning to his house, he made sure he got up, he made sure he got washed, made sure he got dressed, made sure he was fed, and he walked him to school every day just to make sure this guy had some structure to his life. And in that 10 minutes of walking to school, he shared the love of Jesus with him. And they talked about this. Now, there was one morning where... Uh, this guy, Jack, the, the lad, couldn't, couldn't go to school. It was too, too much for him. And so um, they talked. They, he'd been given a Bible. They gave him a Bible. And this man that was working with him just opened it at Luke 15, the prodigal son. And they talked through the story of the prodigal son. And he explained that there is nowhere you can go which is too far from God, where he cannot reach out and find you. And this young lad, Jack, was reduced to tears as he understood the love of God for him in his life. Now, about a few weeks later, one of his friends um, was also a drug addict and developed a sort of psychosis from too much marijuana, too many party drugs, apparently. And um, he came from an abusive home. He He carried a knife with him to defend himself, but he'd hit this crisis and he couldn't stop crying he couldn't he couldn't pull his life together and this young lad jack said to him we're going to read the bible together and uh, they they tell the story of uh, one evening uh, a couple of weeks before last christmas sitting in the town centre uh, about 9:30 in the evening sitting on a park bench 10 or 15 young lads all standing around with the bible open in the middle with all of them with their mobile phones, lights on, shining their light on the Bible, reading the prodigal son. And he says, he put his arm round his mate and just said, God can reach us too. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? So what I want to say is, hold your heads high, not because we're proud, but because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Hold your head high because God has given you authority to walk the land. And as we return to him daily, as we call on him for the things that he has given us and laid on our hearts, and as we allow him to fill us with his Holy Spirit, he spreads through you the fragrance of the knowledge of him. So carry him with you as you go into this week and allow him to be part of the situation as you walk in the situation amen amen oh, such an encouragement such an encouragement Phil thank you yeah I really would urge you to you know maybe maybe it's something you're going through or maybe it's somebody else that's going through something and just as Phil was sharing there, maybe it's about siding up with somebody or going alongside someone else who's who's going through.